Hey guys, this is Drake. Thanks so much for tuning in to our City Church podcast here. It's an honor to have you. Hey, at the end of this episode, we'd love for you to take a moment, subscribe to this podcast channel if you haven't already. Also subscribe to our YouTube channel so we can continue to serve you with content that we're putting out on a weekly basis. And in addition, if we can serve you in any way or connect with you in community in any way, you can visit our website at citychurchboulder.com and we would love to connect with you there. And lastly, and most importantly, I hope this content is helpful to you. It's encouraging, it's inspiring, and you leave better than you showed up. Enjoy. All right. Hey, guys. Welcome to City Church. How you doing? All right. Hey, so glad you're here. My name is Drake. I'm the pastor here. Uh, It's an honor to have you gathering with us today. Summer is already starting to kick off, and you can tell when you look around the room, like half the people are gone. You're like, oh, people are already vacationing. Take me with you next time, okay? We'll just live stream it from wherever we are on the side of a mountain. I am so glad that you're gathering with us here today. It's an honor to have you in the room. Been praying over you all week. No matter where you're walking in on your spiritual journey, you are loved, safe, and welcome here in this community. Um, And before we get started, uh, my heart has been heavy as we were worshiping and praying. Uh, I feel like we should take some time and pray over the events that are happening in our country and around the world. And so if if you're not up to date, I just learned this morning about the shooting in Buffalo, um, as well as uh, still the things that are happening in Ukraine. And so i just like to take some some space um, and and pray over those being affected and ask God um, to, to meet not only us, but uh, those being affected in this space. So if you'll just bow your heads with me and close your eyes for a moment, I'd love to, to take some space and pray. God, thank you so much for being a good father who, who has a heart filled with compassion And God, we just got done singing a song about asking for your eyes and your ears and what's on your heart to be on ours. And, and, and Father, I was, I was burdened this morning because I know that your heart is deeply grieved and deeply troubled and I'm sure full of anger towards the hate crimes that happened in Buffalo and, and our, hearts, our hearts break for this kind of evil and for the suffering that that comes out of it, for the divide that it creates uh, in in relationships and for the fear that it stirs up in hearts. And so God, right now we ask that you be with all the families that are being affected. We know that you love them deeply, whether they know it or not. God, we pray for justice. We pray for reconciliation. We pray that you would give us hearts and minds to understand what it means to love like you, to love our neighbor no no matter how different or similar they are to us. But God, we don't want to be passive in this space, but Father, we would like to know what it is that you would have us do? What does love require of us? And God, we not only pray for our nation and and the events of of, uh, what happened in Buffalo, but we also pray for the world, specifically in Ukraine and in the lies and the fear and, and the death and the heartache that's happening around the world right now. And so much more, God, that you're intimately acquainted with. 
And so, Father, we don't take for granted the safety uh, that we have, the, the ability to gather in a space like this. Let it not be just another Sunday, but we just got done singing. When your spirit shows up, it changes everything. But God, I pray it wouldn't just change maybe the anxiety of our week, but it would change how we live our lives. It would change what we see and what we seek. So Jesus, we invite you to do a work in our hearts and minds today as you're working around the world. And we ask that you invite us into what you're doing around the world and give us the boldness and the courage and the wisdom to step into that, to love our neighbors as ourselves. It's in Jesus' name, amen. Um, Hey, thank you for entering into that space uh, for a second. I think it's necessary. At the end of of, uh, this message, and as we go back into a time of worship, there's going to be time for you to pray, for you to respond, uh, for you to pray with one another. There's going to be some leaders in the back that would love to pray over you. And so if you need prayer or you'd like to dive more deeply into prayer over the events of the world, you're welcome to do that, okay? Um, So so in order to kind of just kind of stay with the space that we're creating this morning, I'm really grateful for the opportunity we have to be a radically generous church. Uh, Maddie said it in the video that uh, you don't just give to a church, you give through a church. And so right after the service today, as the school year is wrapping up, we have the privilege of serving all the faculty and staff at Crestview Elementary down the street. And so we have a couple partners that we try to consistently show up and serve in radically generous ways with time, energy, and resources. And so because of your radical generosity, We've got like, I think it's like $1,500 worth of goodie bags that we are sending over to Crestview Elementary to celebrate all of our faculty and staff there. Say, you crushed it. You love the kids well. There's a Starbucks gift card in there. There's some soothing tea. Um, I was going to make a joke about things that shouldn't be in there, but I'm not going to do that. But it's full of awesome stuff like chips and salsa. You know, all the things. Um, so please don't eat the chips and salsa on your way out. But there are bags in the lobby. Listen, we're not pack rats. We don't just keep all of our junk around the hallway. So if you're walking up and down the hallway and you see all that stuff, it's not for you. And it's not because we're disorganized. It's before the teachers, okay? So we would love your help right after the service. Grab one of those Trader Joe's bags. And there's going to be an assembly line. Michelle will be out there, our director of operations, kind of helping all that flow. And you're literally just filling each one item in the bag at a time all the way down. And then we're going to deliver those this week. And uh, so we'd love your help right after the service. It'll just take a few seconds to fill a bag and get those ready for the teachers. So can we just put our hands together for your radical generosity? Love it, man. So grateful for you guys. Um, also, we just wrapped up our spring semester of city groups. And so uh, we've been building community and we run them in semesters. Um, and so we have a, about a month off before the summer kicks off. But I wanted to take a second and just celebrate all of our amazing city group leaders that have just been creating space to love and serve and invest in you well over this last semester. So can we put our hands together for all your city group leaders? You guys are amazing. We're so grateful for you and the time that you have created uh, just allowing us to build relationships and grow deeper in our faith and more like Jesus and loving others. Now, I wanted to give a quick shout out. You, You wouldn't ever know this, but there is an unsung hero attached to city groups. And you're looking at him. I'm just kidding. It's not me. <laughs> um, there's an unsung hero. And part of, we're really big into practice around here. And so, so not trying, but training. That, that our faith is not something we just sit and absorb, but it's something we have to practice and do. And so uh, a big part of that is helpful content when we gather in groups, moving us toward action. And there's this incredible team member. Her, her name is Sage. Some of you know her and some of you don't. But all of the content in our groups over the semester has been from her incredible brain. So put your hands together for Sage putting amazing group questions together to help us move into 
practice. Now, we're in this middle of this series called Text and Call, and I uh, highly recommend you go back, pick up the podcast or the YouTube channel. We're in our fourth week. We spent three weeks kind of dealing with the Bible um, and, and kind of the reliability of the scriptures. So I don't know where you're walking in on your spiritual journey, you know, whether you're a Jesus follower, you're kind of on the outside looking in, or you, you know, you, maybe you grew up around the church and you walked away from faith, maybe you stayed away from faith on purpose. Like, you could be coming in from all kinds of different places, but one of the big struggles in our faith journey, whether you're a Jesus follower or not, is like, is the Bible reliable? Um, and it's a really, really important question, and we've been answered some really hard questions over the last three weeks, but uh, specifically, we asked the first question, can we trust the Bible? And here's the big idea we landed on, that we trust the Bible because we trust Jesus, not the other way around. We don't trust Jesus because we trust the Bible, but it's actually Jesus and his position on the scriptures that we're able to enter into. So we, I know it's kind of simple and cliche, but it's way deeper than that, okay? So go back and check it out. But we, we didn't just do that work. We also entered into answering the question like, what is it? And, and how do we read it? And so we gave this definition of the Bible as a library of writings that are both divine and human, that together tell a unified story that leads us to Jesus. So we've been kind of wrestling with how to read it, what is it, how does it apply to our lives, if we can trust it, and if we can trust Jesus, it's got a role, but if it's primarily story, how do you follow story, and how do you apply story, and what role does it have in my life and in your life, and we said that through the scriptures, it's actually Jesus that is the central point of the scriptures and of life itself. It's all pointing to Jesus. Don't miss that. It's all pointing to Jesus. Now, the last thing that we did last week is we, we really wrestled with like its role in our lives, and we said it this way, that we can trust in Scripture as an act of trust in God because Jesus trusted in Scripture as an act of trust in God. And let me just say, last week was probably the best Mother's Day message that anyone has ever heard in their entire life. It's a total joke because it had nothing to do with Mother's Day, but like, I felt like it was necessary. So hey, by the way, it's been three weeks of pretty heady, and it kind of got progressively heady. I appreciate your patience, but it's absolutely foundational to what we've been trying to accomplish here at City Church, and so this is formative, right? How we read, how we apply, and how we live out our faith is connected to the scriptures, and so I don't want you to miss that. You can have confidence in that so we can move forward in our practice. Now, the scriptures serve as a central role in our ability to follow Jesus. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, it's important that you kind of wrestle with the role of the Bible when it comes to considering who Jesus is and you know, his relationship to you in your life. Now, because the scriptures are a central role in following Jesus, we've been answering this big question. What does it mean? All year we've been wrestling with this, and that's why we've been kind of back and forth, and today we're going to move into a different direction in this series. But what does it mean to actually follow Jesus? Is it go to church every now and then and, and, and read the Bible because that's what you're supposed to do, and give a little bit of money, and, and, and try to be a good person, and don't say certain words? What, what is it? Is it, a, you know, is it a tattoo that you got to get in order to get into the club? Like, what, what is it that makes you a follower of Jesus? So do you guys remember we've been doing this all year? The first thing, to, to follow Jesus is to what? Number one, anybody? Be with, oh, yeah, okay, we're going to get there. Listen, it's not going away all year. This is coming back, okay? You already forgot, so this tells me. So, all right, it's coming back. Here it is. What does it mean to follow Jesus? Number one, it means to be with Jesus. Number two, become the brain over here. Sage has got it because she wrote questions all semester for you. Okay, somebody else, what's the last thing? Become like Jesus. Do what Jesus did. Okay, this is what it means to follow Jesus. Be with Jesus. Become like Jesus. Summer's not here yet, guys. You can't check out yet, okay? You got that summer fog on you already. Be with Jesus. Become like Jesus. Do what Jesus did. 
did. Now, we spent a ton of time on these first two throughout the year. We're kind of at the halfway point of the year as we move into the summer. And so we spent a ton of time here, a little bit of time on do what Jesus did, and that's what we're going to spend the next two weeks on. And let me ask you a question. Think about it. What did Jesus actually do? Well, he, did, he did a lot, actually. But what, what did he do? What was his primarily, primary focus? And the reason this is so important, and if you're not a Jesus follower, this is really important. If you're a Jesus follower, you've got to come back to this over and over again, that you and I cannot give what we don't have. And so being with Jesus and becoming like Jesus is the space that then empowers us to do what Jesus did. Now, that's not a three-step program that takes you nine months and you do it in categories. This is a simultaneous day-by-day relationship, but you can't separate them. You can't do what Jesus did without being with Jesus. He used some heavy words. He said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Like not not even good things, but nothing at all. It means, man, my capacity to be a good husband or a father or a neighbor or a friend all leans into being with Jesus as priority, becoming like Jesus. And then the overflow is doing what Jesus did. You guys tracking with me? So we're picking it up. What did Jesus do? Jesus' primary priority, if you kind of read through the Gospels, the four accounts of Jesus' life was relationships. You could argue, I think, if you took the entire New Testament and cut it up, like take some scissors, don't do this. You could do it. There's Bibles in the back of your seat back in front of you. Billy would love that if you did that. Um, He bought them all. So do it. Uh, take, Take scissors, do this. Grab a box, three different boxes. Take some scissors and cut it up into different categories. All of the pieces that you find in the New Testament are going to fit into three different relationships. You're going to see Jesus and his relationship with God his relationship with his followers or the family of God, and then his relationship with those who are not in the family of God yet, or what Jesus would call the lost, which is like, ooh, what does that even mean? So let's just look at Jesus and his words. Like, what is Jesus' number one priority on his heart? This is really important for you and I. So let me show you Luke chapter 19, okay? Just out of Jesus' own mouth, he said, the Son of Man came to make sure you have a stress-free week. The Son of Man came to make sure you're making at least $72,000 a year. The Son of Man, right, what was, the, what was Jesus' priority and what was his role? The Son of Man, speaking of himself, came to, and he gives us the exact purpose, what? To seek and to save the lost. So we, we don't use that language a lot around here because our mission here is to help people find their way to God from where they are. And so we try to use language that is compatible with someone who's not following Jesus yet. But this is Jesus' word, okay? So if you're offended, just be mad at him, okay? But this is Luke 19. Jesus gives us the purpose. Let me show you Mark chapter 2. This is, a, again, another priority statement. He's hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. We're going to talk more about this next week. I love, we're, it's so much fun. Make sure you're here next week. Why does he hang out with tax collectors and sinners? Lowest rungs of the social ladder. Some, some religious leaders, by the way, the churchy, churchy people are mad at Jesus for hanging out with people he's not supposed to be hanging out with. And then Jesus hears it and he says to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, or rather those who presume that they're already right, but rather sinners. So Jesus gives us his priority. Why is he here? Why was he born of a virgin, and why is he living a perfect life, and why will he die on the cross and be buried and rise again? He gives it to us again. Now, it doesn't just stop there, because he not only gives us his priority, but he also gives us the priority of heaven. Check this out. Luke chapter 15. We'll revisit this in a minute. Jesus is having a conversation. He tells this story about like the shepherd who has 100 sheep, and, he, and one runs off, and so he leaves the 99 sheep to go find the one. He's telling this parable to kind of get the point across. And at the end of that story, he says, I tell you, 
There will be more joy in heaven, and he pauses, or at least I'm gonna pause. I don't know if he actually did, but we're gonna do it. There's more joy in heaven, and he gives us the priority over a really full Sunday gathering. No, it's not what he said. Over an amazing message and a worship set. There's more joy in heaven when you didn't have a stressful week. There's more joy in heaven when gas prices go down. (laughs) There's more joy in heaven when someone buys a Chevy instead of a Ford. What does he say? He gives us the priority of heaven. There's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who don't need repentance. For the record, none of us fall into that category. There are no (laughs) righteous persons. It's tongue in cheek. Jesus is helping us understand the priority. And so I want to help us understand Jesus' heart. And what's amazing about Jesus' heart for the world is it's Jesus' heart for us, that the lost were and are the priority of Jesus. We spend a lot of time being with Jesus, become like Jesus, but you and I can't be with Jesus and become like Jesus without what's on his heart getting on our heart. And the lost were and are the priority of Jesus. And if you're a Jesus follower in the room, you're able to agree with the song, I was lost, but now I'm found. There was never a point where you just kind of were born found. So let me explain this word. Jesus uses the word lost to describe people far from God, which was every single person in this room. And the only thing that separates you and I being far from God or not is Jesus himself. So when Jesus uses this language of the lost, he's talking about people outside of relationship with himself. And I want you to understand that this is not an offensive word. People would not have been like, oh, I can't believe you called me a sinner and lost. I mean, it's, it's not like that. Because this is a word of compassion. This is not categorization. This is not condemning. But, but think about the word lost. What does it mean? Like, like you're searching for a home. You're searching for safety. You're searching for rest. There, there's something displaced. There's a feeling of, I don't, I don't know where I am or I don't know the way. And, and you probably know this, but you don't have to feel lost to be lost, right? <laughs> how, how, many, how many men in the room following directions? We're not lost. I know exactly where I am. Do a little bit of mansplaining and you just, yeah, you're lost, right? You know, um, right? You don't have to feel lost to be lost. But when you are lost, it doesn't mean you're stupid. doesn't mean you're ignorant. doesn't mean you're a bad person. It just means you're lost. And Jesus uses this language to describe someone who is far from God. And this is Jesus' priority. So at the end of each gospel, or the, the, these four accounts of Jesus' life in the New Testament, you pick up that Bible in front of you, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. At the end of each of those records of Jesus' life, Jesus articulates his priority to his followers. So if you're a Jesus follower in the room, Jesus' priority should be my priority and your priority. And over and over again, in different ways, he says, go and make disciples or help people follow me or share this good news so people can apprentice under me to adopt my way of life, to come into relationship with me. Over and over again, Jesus invites and commands, if you will, which we talked about the Bible as authority last week. So Jesus doesn't say, hey, when you feel like it, when you get around to it, you know, when your week chills out, when your job is less stressful and when your kids grow up and they're out of the house and whatever other excuse you want, Make sure you, you know, probably invite somebody to church at least once in your lifetime. <laughs> That's not what it is. Go, command, and, and make 
followers. So at City Church, we call this living on mission with Jesus. And so depending on your background, this can get a little weird and a little tricky. There's this word that maybe you've heard before called evangelism. Ooh, goose pimples, right? Like, ooh, what does that even mean? Are we gonna, listen, I got a whole box of tracks for you guys right when you walk out the door. Little, like, they look like $100 bills, but they're not really. They're like, <laughs> you, you serve God or money. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm not doing that to you, right? But like, depending on your background, right, there's people that go around knocking on doors, you know, you're, you, you know, if you died tonight, <laughs> What's gonna, right? Like, what, what does it mean to live on mission with Jesus? It gets really weird, right? Is it the guy on the street corner holding the sign? Because that's not my jam. Um, what, what does it look like to live on mission with Jesus? And it gets tricky because at some point, following Jesus can start to feel like, like product endorsement for Jesus, right? You're like, okay, so I'm in charge of marketing for Jesus, and you know, we haven't been doing it great, so how do we make Jesus cool and hip and package him in a way that's helpful and appealing? And, and, and we struggle, right? Like, and listen, if, if this gets weird, or rather, if, if you have a weird background or you're kind of, you know, this thing just kind of feels strange in your mind, you're not alone in that. This is intimidating, it's weird, but we're gonna get it in a place that's actually not weird at all. Part of it is, it, part of the reason we struggle with this is because you've seen evangelism, you've seen someone living on mission for Jesus in a way that's less than helpful. You've, you've seen people make the news picketing X, Y, and Z. You've seen someone yelling that someone's going to hell because of X, Y, right? You, you've seen the ugly. Or if you, you haven't, someone else has. And, and so we're like, man, if that's it, I don't know. But I would argue that's not it. <laughs> so, so many of you in the room, you're followers of Jesus, you would say that your faith is sincere. And you're probably asking the question, like, how do I share my faith and live out my faith and even live on mission with Jesus in a way that's not weird? And we have this weird kind of Western privatization thing going on. We're like camouflage Christians is kind of the encouragement, right? And so there's this weird invitation like, hey, you can follow Jesus in such a way that no one would ever notice. Yeah, like just a private little personal faith that, you know, you don't let anybody know about. Jesus is cool. He's not weird. And you, so you just kind of pocket it in a way that's your own little thing. And, and I can just imagine, can you imagine God? like watching all of, of this privatization stuff, like, oh man, you're doing such a good job disguising me. I'm so, I mean, dude, your neighbors have no idea you're, you're a follower of Jesus, way to go. Right, can you imagine God, like, oh man, your coworkers have no idea you're following Jesus, great job. Right, I don't think it works like that. For some of us, you've been explained or, or even your heart feels inclined to like live out your faith like Secret Santa. Like, you're like, okay, I'm gonna love my neighbors well uh, um, by giving them a box of cookies, and hopefully through that, they're gonna figure out that Jesus is the son of God, he died for their sin, rose again, and through a relationship with him, through repentance of faith, they can come to know it. All through a box of cookies, right? We're just kind of hoping Secret Santa gets the job done, and that's just not how it works. Well, unless it's Danielle's cookies, right? That actually might happen, okay? If you had the cookies in the lobby, okay, maybe someone can meet Jesus that way, but outside of her cookies, Right, you're just hoping that oh, mowing my neighbor's lawn, little act of service, is all of a sudden gonna make sure they can know Jesus. So, so it's not secret Santa loving my neighbors, but also there's this fear involved, right? Because, because we live in an, an intolerant culture as much as we push on tolerance. We live in a very intolerant culture, and so there's this pressure to keep your faith to yourself. That maybe the greatest moral wrong is for you to share your faith and want someone else to believe what you believe. How dare you? And so there's this space in our hearts of protecting ourselves, like, man, how do I, how do I make my faith fit in with the culture around me so I don't have to compromise, or comfort, or compromise my comfort? And then, and then we're wrestling with Jesus' words in Luke 6, like this, look, this, this wrecked me this week. Jesus said, woe to you when, when all people speak well of you. 
For so their fathers did to the false prophets when we live for the approval of men. I'm like, man, how do, I, how do I balance that with loving my neighbor well and how do I keep things low key so it doesn't cost me much? You feel the tension? It's, it's a tension. Listen, you're not alone in this. It's, it's hard and it's weird, but here's a study that Barna did. Barna did a, a, a study on millennials who identified as Jesus followers. Over 90% of the millennials that took this survey said that I have a personal responsibility to share Jesus with people in my life. So over 90% of the millennials that took this survey who are Jesus followers, over 90% said I have a personal responsibility to share my faith, this good news with other people. Also, over 90% said that the best thing that can happen to someone on this planet is for them to give their lives to Jesus, right? And so it's super cool. You say, okay, there's this incredible, over 90% are saying, I have an obligation. I need to share my faith. And also, I believe genuinely the best thing that someone can do is trust in and follow Jesus. And, and then over 70% actually said, you know what? I even know how to help, and, and I'm gifted in sharing that which is pretty cool. So over 70% of people that took the survey said not only is this a priority, not only is this the best thing ever, but I actually am equipped. I could do it, right? Don't, don't bring your, your friends to church on Sunday to listen to Drake. Just bring them to me. I can, I can explain it to them, right? But, but get this. This is crazy. Reddit, 47%, almost half of the people in this survey said emphatically, it is wrong to share my faith with someone of a different worldview. Isn't that interesting? It's a priority. It's the most important life-changing decision of all time. I'm, I'm equipped to do it, but it is morally wrong for me to share my faith with someone of a different worldview. And so there's, there's a tension that you and I feel. Now, my goal is not to, listen, if you're feeling any kind of guilt and shame or any weird stuff like that, that's not, it's not for me, it's not from God, don't listen to that. This is, this is not a divine obligation meant to make you feel really bad and, and move you to action. But this is a loving invitation to join God in what he's already doing. I can tell you story after story after story of the people I've had the privilege of introducing to Jesus, not, not through a Sunday gathering, but just through my own personal relationships. And in every single one of them, if you ask them their story, God was already working in and around and through their life before I ever entered the scene. I just had the privilege of being a part of their story. And one of the things you and I get confused is we, we act like, you know, if we don't do it, God, God just absent completely. But we're actually being invited to join in the invitation. We're, we're invited to join in what God is already doing. Anna, the very first person, person that was saved and baptized here at City Church was the girlfriend of my next door neighbor. And we'd see him in the alley and we'd hang out and we'd have dinner and all of a sudden I meet, I didn't even know Anna. I met Anna because of my neighbor. They came over for dinner one night. All of a sudden, like through, through a, a, a bunch of meals and relationships and time, she becomes a Jesus follower. But God was doing way more than that before Danielle and I got there. We, we were just there at the, at the right time and joined in what God was already doing in that space. Over and over again, I could give you that example. Angela, one of my great friends, is here in the room. She moved from Houston to be in Boulder for a couple of months. I'm praying that she's just going to move to Boulder long term because she's awesome. She's about to be Dr. Angela. And um, she was a junior in high school when Danielle and I met her. 
she came to this youth lock-in that we were doing or something like that, some kind of crazy event like that. And uh, uh, I'm sure there was way more energy drinks than we needed and lots of, you know, terrible food and all that stuff. And uh, um, she comes in as a junior. I share the good news of Jesus, and she gives her life to Jesus that night. But God was already doing way more in her life prior to that evening than I could take credit for. So it's not like Drake was the hero. Jesus is the hero. And you and I are invited into what God is already doing. There's another guy named Jacob that invited her that evening. She grew up in a home where, where she'd heard the message of Jesus. And over and over again, there's spaces where we can look at someone's story and God's been active. And so you and I are not invited to like cultivate out of nowhere this effort to change someone's life, but we're just invited to join in what God is already doing. My story is that exactly. My parents, my nana, dude, they were praying for me and I needed it. And I didn't want it. I could care less about Jesus. I didn't want church, Jesus, nothing. And I was chasing a girl in high school. And it turns out that while I was chasing a girl, God was chasing me. I didn't even know it. And so, so other people are praying for me, and there's influence here and there. But then I'm chasing a girl. I end up at church on a Wednesday night just for this girl. And a guy named Mike introduces me to Jesus. And Jesus saves me and changes my life. But it wasn't solo Mike, and it wasn't just the prayers of my Nana, but God was chasing and pursuing me that whole time, and he's doing the same for you. And everyone in here has a story connected to God's activity through other people. So one of the struggles in Christian kind of American evangelicalism is like evangelism solely up to you as if at some point Jesus stopped seeking and saving the lost. Like he, he left, and now it's up to you. But Jesus, his heart is to work in and through you and I, and he's pursuing anyone and everyone that's not in the family of God yet. The goal is not to take God where he is not, because he's working everywhere. The goal is to join in in what God is doing. When God called us to start City Church three years ago, we didn't pick Boulder and say, you know what, that place needs God. <laughs> no way, dude. God invited us to join him in what we were already doing. We're not the heroes of this city. We just joined him in what he's already doing. Billy and Gina are in the room. They're an incredible team. Actually, Billy's teaching city kids today. But they're feeling called to, uh, uh, to go overseas and live on mission with Jesus in another part of the world. They didn't pick a point on a map and say, oh, man, they really need God there. Yeah, of course. Like, who doesn't, right? No, they're joining in what God's already doing in that area. Over and over again, we have the privilege of So let me show you Matthew chapter 9. This is, listen to Jesus' words here so you follow with me. When, when, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. I need you to know when Jesus, his heart for the lost is, is a heart of compassion. And if you're not a Jesus follower in the room, this is for you. And if you're a Jesus follower in the room, this is still for you. His heart is full of compassion because we're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd lost. Then he said to his disciples, listen to this, the harvest is plentiful. They lived in an agricultural society. We don't live in that zone, but follow the, the idea here. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest. He's talking about those who are lost coming into the family of God. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So notice what Jesus doesn't invite you and I to pray for. He doesn't say, pray really hard that God would care. He doesn't say, pray really hard that people's hearts would be receptive. In fact, Jesus seems to assume here that the good news is going to do its job. 
that hearts are already ready. God is already working. What does he do? He doesn't even say pray for the harvest, but he says pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. He's actually inviting us to pray, Jesus, send me. Let me join you in what you're doing. And you and I have to be careful. Listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, we have to be careful not to project where God is active and where he's absent. We can get really, like, we can say, oh, man, God's really active in our church gathering. We're, you know, have expectation experience over here. But then we're like, oh, well, he's not working at work in this person's life. Or he's not working in my family member's life. Or he's, you know, he's not on the playground over here with my kids. And he's not, you know, over here as my college friend crashes on my couch. He's not working in the lives of my classmates. You and I can categorize God as if he's working in some places and not others, and that's not our job. The prayer here is, God, open my eyes to join you in what you're doing. I've heard it said this way, found people, find people, which is like cliche and cute, and kinda, I kind of dig it. Found people, find people. I was lost, I'm found. Now I find people. Got it? You, all right. Found people, find. It's good. It's kind of memorable and a little cheeky, but if you're not careful, it can kind of have a guilt and shame component, as if found people automatically find people. Like you're just this lost person metal detector. <laughs> found people, find people. It's an emphatic. No, no, no. What is it? It's not automatic. It's intentional. It's a response out of love. That I love what Jesus loves. Because Jesus loves me, I'm able to love what he loves. And he loves those not in his family yet. And one of the things I struggle with is my eyes are not always open with expectation to what God is already doing around me. You and I, as Jesus followers, are invited to join him in mission. We talk about it like this, to live on mission where you live, work, and play. So let me kind of wrap it up. Isaac, or, or actually it's Daniel. Daniel, come up and, and play the keys for me. John chapter one, let me show you this, just to kind of give you a, an easy illustration, because you might ask the question, number, uh, what does it look like? So John chapter one, uh, verse 43. You guys have that? Did I get it wrong? What's the next verse? Hey, there it is, thank you. So, so what does it look like to actually live this life of invitation? Look at this. The next day, Jesus goes to Galilee. He finds Philip and says to him, follow me. He becomes one of the 12, one of his close followers. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael. And said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, uh, the, the son of Joseph. And then they say, I, I love this. Nathaniel says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Like total doubt, right? So you invite someone to church, like, why would I go to church with you? Total doubt in this camp. And Philip simply says, come and see. C come and see. And you, and you ask the question, like, what, what does it look like? This dude, Nathaniel, don't, don't miss this. He becomes one of the 12 because of a simple invitation. He becomes one of the 12 because Philip was moving slowly and compassionately enough that he could live a life of invitation. So here's my question for you. What does it look like to live a life of invitation? Are we a people of invitation? And quite frankly, we, we are and you are. And I'm grateful for you in that. But are we continually invitational people? We, we pray often for, for lostness to decrease in Boulder by 1%. 93% of our population is disconnected from God. And we pray over and over again to see 1%, 1,100 people come to trust in Jesus through the influence of this body and family. 
Now next week, I'm, I'm gonna, we're gonna dive into this idea of hospitality because I, I tell you often that there's a good chance that some of your neighbors and friends and coworkers, they have a better chance of meeting Jesus at your kitchen table than they do on, at a weekend gathering. But don't, don't take for granted the simple invitation of this common space that you and I have. I mean, think about it, guys. This is an amazing, rich, and life-giving community, isn't it? Right? It is, because you're in it. You're what make it amazing and life-giving. But friends, listen. Even the richest community cannot be experienced without invitation. And the only thing more awkward than inviting someone to join you is showing up without an invite. So are we a people of invitation? Seth says it awesome, often. He says that we embrace the, the feeling of being awkward so others don't have to feel that way. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, man. Some of us, that's a big struggle. But, but you gotta ask the question, what does love require of me? Because listen, guys, listen. If the surveys are correct, that might reflect on this room. 90% of us will say, yeah, man, Jesus is that hope, and I, and I need to share it. But then it's, it's a challenge, and it's hard. And so you know what? Inspiration will fade and your willpower is going to fizzle and guilt and shame are just lousy motivators. And so what's going to move you and I past our comfort zones? What keeps our attention outwardly focused when we're drowning with life and kids and work and a project and summer and busy and family and budgets and all the things happening and nails in our tires, and, right? How do we stay on top of that? What, what keeps you from giving up on someone that you've loved over and over again a thousand times? and you choose to show up one more time for him. What makes rejection worth it? And there's only one answer, and it's the love of Jesus. Love is the only thing big enough and strong enough to keep us inviting. So, we've done a lot of work this year on how to be with Jesus and become like Jesus. And so you might ask the question, how do I grow in this season? This is not the easiest way but the for sure way to see your faith and my faith grow in this season is to practice a lifestyle of invitation. I was thinking about Jesus' words that heaven celebrates over one lost person that comes into God's family. And I was challenged with this this week. For my life personally, is heaven celebrating or is it silent? You and I can't be with Jesus and become like Jesus without doing what he did. And so one of the dangers I just want to invite you to acknowledge as we wrap up our time is, is that Boulder's a challenging place to live out your faith. And one of the tendencies is we, we just want to kind of stay safe and, and close and we live in a hyper-intellectual, super intimidating, like intolerant city and so it might feel like as a follower of Jesus you're just trying to survive here. But don't, don't buy into that lie. God has placed you. God has designed you where you live, work, and play to help people find their way to God from where they are. There's only one you on the planet and God has a plan and a purpose to work in and through you. You and I just have to pray for eyes to see the harvest and have God's heart. Let me show you this last piece because this is the good news. Jesus said, John 17, 3. This is eternal life. This is the good news. That they know you. Not that they go to heaven when they die. Not pray a little prayer and feel better about yourself. 
not go to church and be a good person. This is eternal life. This is the goodness that they know you, the only true God and Jesus whom you have sent. Jesus said it's relationship. It's relationship. Jesus would invite us to repent and believe. That is to change the way that we think about life and embrace the reality that he introduced into a relationship with God. So you and I are are both invited to receive the good news and to share the good news. But do not forget that this is not a divine obligation. This is a loving invitation to join God in what he's already doing. And I'd like to celebrate because many of you already live in this space, but if you're like me, every day is a challenge to recenter into God's heart on my heart. Don't let guilt and shame drive you, but I'm confident that heaven is going to be more crowded, that more people are going to be a part of the family of God because of how you and I live lives of invitation over this next season. So let me pray for you. As you bow your heads and close your eyes, I'm just going to invite you to kind of reflect in your own heart and mind of maybe the space that you're in. Before we sing these next songs, and I hope that your heart is, is, is tender and soft to the reality that this is not a divine obligation. This is an incredible, loving invitation from a God who loves you and loves those not in his family yet. God's heart is for restored relationship. And if you're a follower of Jesus in the room, odds are someone was courageous enough and full of enough love to share God's love with you so you could have a relationship with Jesus. And you and I are now invited as Jesus followers to live lives of invitation. Invitation into our gatherings, invitation into a city group, invitation to our kitchen table, invitation to a bike trail, invitation to a coffee shop, invitation to drinks after work. There's a thousand mediums to practice the way of Jesus here. And right now, man, I would just ask you join me if you're a follower of Jesus. Open my eyes, Jesus, to see where you're already working and give me the courage to join you in it. Faces and names, people I can love. And if you're not a follower of Jesus in the room, I want you you to just have confidence today that Jesus' heart is for you. And he has made a way for you. That the invitation is not a cheap invitation, but he gave his life for my sin and for your sin. He was buried and he rose again, proving he was who he said he was and that he could do in my life and in your life what he said he would do. And if you have never responded to the invitation to have a relationship with Jesus, I invite you into that today. To repent means to change the way that you think, to agree with Jesus about the reality and the condition of our soul, and to respond to believe, to trust in him, that he's good, that he loves you, that he made a way for you. You do nothing to earn it or deserve it. You simply receive it. And in that receiving, Jesus said, this is eternal life, to know God, restored relationship. So if you've never done that today, I want to invite you in your own heart and mind, you can pray and invite Jesus Respond to that invitation. Jesus, I want that life with you. I need you to save me and set me free. And heaven roars in celebration as you find your way home. So Father, we ask you to to do what you want to do for the rest of our time here today. Give us eyes to see and hearts and, and minds and hands full of love. 
to go and practice this goodness. Amen.